we don't question it. We're not taught to look at our beliefs or limiting beliefs or empowering beliefs. Uh, if we were taught that at school, oh, what a difference that would make. I think 100%, you know, we're definitely not taught to question that type of thing. And more often than not, we don't even realise we're thinking these beliefs or that we're associating ourselves. Like it's such an unconscious or a subconscious, depending on what your um, methodology is, such an yeah. un unconscious process that we're going through. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. We've got a very special guest on today uh, on the podcast and it is Stephen Aitchison. So Stephen is a very special guest all the way from the UK. He is a world-renowned writer and online trainer. So thank you so much for your time today, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Welcome, welcome. Ali, thank you so much for having me on. Really, really appreciate this. I think this is going to be a good one. I think it will be. Um, I've just been having a little bit of a read on your website all about you. But what I would love to get started with, um, if you could take a few minutes, is to let us know a bit about you, um, let our listeners know where you've come from and what's got you to this point. Oof, um, a lot of years to go back. So can it all first started, I guess, when I came over to Glasgow. I used to stay on the east coast of Scotland and I came over to Glasgow because I decided my life wasn't the way it was uh, it wasn't where it should be. So I wanted to help people in some way and I didn't know what to do. So I went into nursing. I decided to go into nursing. I was going to be a mental health nurse. Right. And then after 18 months of training to do that, it didn't really work out. I was partying too much and stuff like that. So it didn't really work out. Um, so then I was trying to decide what to do. So I went to university to get my kind of psychology degree. So yes. I'd done that and it was just um, to prove to myself that I could do it because I had all these beliefs from the past they're really kind of hindering me. I just thought I wasn't intelligent at all. So I got that and then I thought, okay, how do I help people? I still want to help people in some way and I just didn't know how. Started a blog, 2006, really went from there and then I become an addiction, an alcohol counsellor. So I've done that for about seven years, but I really wanted to do my own business, online business, helping people. So in 2012, I left my full-time job and had a website um, selling guided meditations. Um, oh, cool. So I've recorded, written and recorded about 350 guided meditations. Wow. Um, so that's how the, the entrepreneurial side started. And then Facebook came in and I was teaching people how to use Facebook because my subscriber, well, my kind of follower list had grown up to about 3 million. And wow. people were saying, how do you do it? So I taught people, I yeah. started a whole new business, teaching people to do that. And in the meantime, I was trying to write these books, but the business side was taken off. So I had to put it on the side. And now I've decided when I was 55, I thought I'm going to write books and do kind of non-fiction and fiction books. But I'm, I'm doing it early. So I'm 51 just now. So this is a year that I am an author. And this is the first book out of, I don't know, how, however how many. But well, that's how I got to where I am today. Well, <laughs> congratulations. We're our big goal getters here at Made For More. So I'm so glad that you set the goal that you're going to be an author by age 55 and you've crushed at 51. So yes. this is your very first book. Yep. 
What's it called? It is called the Belief Principle, seven beliefs that will transform your life. But the longest running um, personal development blogs in the UK and might be in the world as well. I think Steve Pavlina wow. um, has got a longer running blog as well. And that's, I got inspiration from Steve Pavlina, Pavlina when I first started blogging yeah. and uh, Leo Babauta as well. We were in a kind of circle. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's been running. We've got two and a half thousand articles on there. Um, That's incredible. Well. What a bank um, so of knowledge well, that, yeah, people can draw on. That's so incredible. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So with your book, what actually gave you the inspiration to, um, I guess, firstly, write a book? You're already in the blogging space, but writing and becoming an author is a little bit different. But what gave yeah. you the inspiration to write a book and how did it end up being the belief principles? Well, back in 2014, before kind of business really took off, I designed a cover and um, I decided that I was going to write books. That was the year I was going to start writing books, but then business took off. But in 2014, I, I always called it the Belief Principle and got the design covered, uh, the cover designed. But I was way back when I was 16 years old. Well, going back younger, I'll just very, very quickly, uh, if I go back younger, when I was in primary school, five from the age of five to 16, I had something, I had problems with my hearing, so I couldn't hear that well. So I couldn't understand what the teachers were saying, I couldn't hear what the teachers were saying, and I learned to lip read, but I'd missed a lot of the education and they thought I had a, a learning difficulty, a learning disability, um, because I had a hearing problem, but nobody knew I had a hearing problem. Yeah, and wow. Had, and so it was, it was amazing. I had something called glue ear. and so I got glue ear. My son has had glue ear. Oh, has he? Did he get yeah. grommets put in? Yes, he did, and it fixed it. And I mean, he's not a great listener now, but it definitely improved it. He's only, you know, just turned seven. But yeah, I yeah, know so, that. Yeah, so that's the exact same situation. So I've got the grommets put in. After that, the education kind of got much better, but I'd held the belief for about two years before they got the, the operation that I was thick, that yeah, I just wasn't right. intelligent at all. And I think I got bullied, I believe, because of that as well. But that's not a poor me thing. It's just kind of what happened. Yeah. But so I, I held that belief for literally up until I was 16 years old. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, I just, I'm not intelligent. I'm, I'm thick. I'm not, I'm just, but it affects every area of your life, your social mm. area, your mm. confidence, and every other area. But when I was 16, I was walking home after passing the history exam. I got an A in history exam. I loved history. Yeah. And I thought, hold on a minute. I, I, I can't be thick. If I passed an exam like this, it means I'm not thick. So yeah. I started looking for other pieces of evidence to prove that was that was intelligent. I love to write. I love to read. I love watching documentaries. I loved all these kind of things, and it proved to me that I was intelligent. And that belief changed almost overnight, and it changed my life. And wow. I thought, imagine how many people don't know about this, but I kind of forgot about it. And yeah. then when I was starting to kind of write the blog and the books and stuff, but I've always written about beliefs. Yeah. And I'd done a talk in India in 2010 about it, and I thought this is a because nobody knows their personal beliefs. Nobody knows what they are unless they question it. Yeah. So that was where it came from. Mm, I love that. And it's interesting that the light bulb moment came quite a bit after you got your hearing fixed. So was there a period between yeah. when you had your glue ear fixed and obviously then started to learn more and then recognised that you weren't actually thick, um, so to say, when you were, you know, 16. But what happened in between? You know, obviously conditioning is a big part of what makes up our beliefs and our identity. Yeah. What happened, I guess, on the home front there from your parents when they realised that you, in fact, weren't thick or was that preconceived idea already embedded? No, no, the, the, my parents realised uh, oh, there was nothing great. wrong with me. They, they knew. It was just the teachers had kind of brought my parents up and thought uh, I had a learning disability. Yeah. So it was me that was thinking, I'm thick, there must be something oh. wrong. So it was actually me. So that was yeah. a, deeply embedded from myself. 
Right, um, right. Because of kind of my teachers, what my teachers were saying, things like that as well. Um, and because I just felt it myself, there was something wrong with me. I was different from everybody else, and I didn't yeah. realize it's to do with the healing. And yeah. it was a kind of strange thing. But yeah, you're right. Um, because at such a young age, that carries um, with you um, throughout your whole life if you don't recognize it. If I hadn't recognized it at 16, I wouldn't be here talking to you just now. Yeah, incredible. I wouldn't be where I am just now if I hadn't recognized that at 16. And a lot of people go through their life like that, Ali. Um, yeah. And it's weird that we don't question it. We're not taught to look at our beliefs or limiting beliefs or empowering beliefs. Uh, if we were taught that at school, phew, what a difference that would make. I think 100%, you know, we're definitely not taught to question that type of thing. And more often than not, we don't even realize we're thinking these beliefs or that we're associating ourselves. Like it's such an unconscious or a subconscious, depending on what your um, methodology is, such an yeah. un unconscious process that we're going through that makes up part of our identity. And it's not until we really start getting into it and digging deep, doing that work and realizing that actually perhaps all of these things that we've been thinking about ourselves and even our childhood and, and who we were really can shift and that's when the magic happens i find hugely yeah um because i mean at different at different ages throughout our life we our brainwave patterns are totally different so up until the age of seven years old our brainwave patterns and um, predominantly alpha and theta brainwave state yep. and that's a learning state that's when um, kids can mop up and soak up all the information you can get through them and this yeah. is why they're so good with ipads and tvs and computers at yeah. such a young age because they soak up that information in alpha-theta state. Now, as we get older, as adults, we're in what is called a beta stage, um, kind of the brainwave pattern. But we are just now watching this, listening to this, um, but we're thinking about other things as well. Yeah. Um, so we're thinking about the kids, we're thinking about kind of shopping, we're thinking about paying the bills and stuff like that. We're constantly tuned in. But alpha-theta state, you're in a kind of relaxed, meditative state, and that's when you can learn, really learn. So up until seven years old, alpha-theta, um, so that's why most of our beliefs are formed by the age of seven years old. And yeah. at seven years old, you don't even have a concept of what belief is, but yeah. yet most of our personal beliefs are formed by the age of seven years old because of that alpha-theta state. And when most people realize that it doesn't have to be that way, then that's when life begins to change. And But still, it still amazes me today. Um, one of the, the amazing things about being a human being is you can change any belief you want that you have yeah. about yourself. Very good. So do you have a method for, actually, I know, you, I know that you do have a method for changing your <laughs> beliefs, but before we get into that, I just wanted to ask, and this is purely from my own personal perspective. So I've got four young kids, they're all under seven. Yeah. So they're currently in the alpha beta state and they are like sponges. They pick up everything. Yeah. Now I'm beginning to question, maybe I should be implanting some better beliefs into them while they've still yes. got a mushy frontal cortex. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any um, tips out there, I guess, for the, any of the parents that are listening that are thinking, oh, perhaps I can, you know, start really, you know, ensuring that our children are resilient and um, doing some healthy beliefs? from that young age? Yeah, I think, yeah, because that's, and this, this book is just the first starter for 10, and another book is going to be The Belief Principle for Parents, and I think oh, this awesome. is a brilliant topic to talk about. So uh, this is not about manipulating kids. We have to kind of make um, people aware of that. It's not manipulating your kids, but it's empowering your children. Yes, so it's just little things, because what you do when you say to your kids, oh, you're really good at artwork, then they internalise that and say, I am really good at artwork, yes. that I am being the operative two words, that I am has governed your whole life. Whatever you say after I am, you are. I am no yeah. good at maths. I am yeah. no good with computers. I have not got good memory. Just whatever comes after that, 
yep. then you are that person. So with kids, they internalize that and say, I am good at art. So yeah. it motivates them to do more art. So if you start talking to your kids, say, oh, you're really good at that. Or if they're doing something naughty, they're just saying, oh, you're really so good normally. Why are you doing this? Yes. Just little things like that. Just because really you don't want to overcomplicate it. Uh, it's just little things like that, but constantly reinforcing how amazing they are. They're, they're not always amazing, and you don't want to kind of <laughs> give them a belief where they're amazing at football or soccer or whatever you call yeah. it, but they're not. You just say, well, maybe that's not your sport, but you're really good at this. So yes. it's about empowering them with beliefs as well and just the little things you do to talk to them. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. Pardon, what was that last bit? I'm saying I don't know if that helps you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm always looking for tips. So that was purely self-indulgent there. <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. But I'm always looking for little tips because I think certainly in the world that our children are growing up in, there is, you know, there's enough people putting them down and feeding them exactly. negativity. You know, you only have to watch the news, particularly at the moment, to kind of really start feeling pretty miserable about everything that's yeah. going on at the moment. So I think any exactly. tips where we can sort of build that resilience in our kids, and if that's simply if something as simple as I am statements and teaching them to, I guess, embrace I am statements and start looking for that as their own tools, I think that's amazing, an amazing gift to give parents yeah, and um, yeah. to be able to give to their children for sure. Yeah, love it. Let's get back back to your book. So I was reading through it. I've got a few questions. One of them is okay. around, you talk about the um, the filter, the beliefs filter. Yeah. Can you unpack that a little bit more for me? Yeah, so the, the way you view the world is totally different. The reality doesn't exist. Yeah. It only exists in your mind. You're the only person that sees your reality. Yeah. And we've got, when we understand that, I'm not going to go too deep into it because it gets into philosophy and kind of deep psychological states, but... Your world is totally different from my world, and it's totally different from the other 7.7 .7 billion people that live in the world, yeah. purely because of beliefs. So if you think, if you think about when you take a picture on your phone, mm -hmm. you apply all these filters to it. This is why everybody looks amazing when they go on social media, yeah. um, because they've applied all these filters to yeah. them. You don't look like that in real life. So when you remove all the filters, that's what real life is. Um, but it's the same with our minds as well. We've got all these beliefs, and I'm talking about hundreds of different beliefs. That So this is the world here, and this is kind of how you're seeing it here. And you've got in between, you've got all these beliefs. So how you view the world is filtered through all those different beliefs, yep. uh, and that is your belief filter. Now, when you have a belief that's biased towards the kind of the dark side, so to speak, so if you think the world is a terrible place, there's loads of murderers, rapists, and all sorts of bad people in the world. Mm -hmm. Probably because of the news and the media, and that's what they like to report on. Yeah. Um, but if you have that filter, if you have that belief that that is true, then you're going to see the world through that filter. Now, if you remove that and change it to say, actually, do you know what? The world is a good place. It's only a tiny minority of people that are bad in it, and that's what the news reports on. It's disproportionately biased toward bad news. So if you change that belief, you, the way that you, view, you view the world and the way your world is literally, not figuratively, literally changes. You see the world in a totally different way because of your, that one belief. Now imagine if you had a hundred... Layer upon beliefs. layer of beliefs that have come exactly. in over time. Yeah, it's a lot yeah, to You just think you could do anything, yeah. Um, so that is the belief filter, and it's a really powerful thing to learn about as well. Yeah, and it can go either way. Are you saying a belief filter? You could have filters that suggest 
that you're more aware of any negativity and your reticular activation kicks in and then you start seeing it all versus you could have filters around uh, sunshine and lollipops and everything's really good in the world when perhaps the reality for people in the same world as you it's not all sunshine and lollipops so it's really getting down to what's the what's the real life it's a bit of a mind bend isn't it it really is but it's what you want it to be and your life that you're living just now Yep. is all to do with yourself. It's about taking responsibility as well. That's one of the beliefs I've got in the book. Yep. I am responsible for everything that happens in my life. So uh, another I am statement? Yeah, another I am statement. So yep. it really starts yep. with that. We're doing that every single day of our lives. So if you think about it, and um, somebody says to you, okay, what's 17 times eight? And you might say, oh, I'm not good at maths. You've, you've affirmed and you've been affirming the, your whole life. I just life. did that in my Did you do that? <laughs> oh, don't ask me this question. <laughs> so that's, that's it. And you just say, oh, I'm not good at maths. And you, you kinda, you're, you're kind of trying to justify why you don't know what 17 times 8 is off yep. the top of your head. I think it's 126 or something. But you're trying to justify it um, straight away and you just say, I'm not good at maths. So you're affirming that affirmation, I am no good at maths, yes. starts a belief. So it's little mini beliefs. It starts like that and then it grows up and your, your brain subconsciously um, starts to look for more evidence that you're no good at maths. Yep. So that then becomes one of your kind of trunk beliefs or branch beliefs to say, I'm, I'm just no good at maths. And that's it. And your subconscious mind and your, your unconscious mind just shuts down. If somebody asks you a question, you say, oh, I'm no good at maths. Or your subconscious say, I'm no good at maths, so I'm not even going to attempt that. Yep. But when you open it up and start to believe that you are good at maths, your subconscious kind of marinates in that and just says, oh, actually... I can figure this out because I'm getting better in maths all the time. So this is how we change your belief. That's the process of changing as well. Yep. So recognizing what untrue belief was and then being able to flip it around to a more growth mindset belief. Exactly. Yeah. So so you've got limiting beliefs and you've got empowering beliefs, whatever you want to call them, but that's really what they are. Yeah. And they're either holding you back or driving you forward. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some that you just kind of stay stuck where you are just now, and that's fine. Yep. If you want to be where you are just now, fantastic. And you don't always have to be moving forward. Um, but that's kind of what most of our beliefs are doing just now. They're keeping us in the same place, they're pulling us back or they're pushing us forward. And you just mentioned here about the trunk belief and the branch belief. So is that a tree belief? What's the uh, <laughs> yeah, what's the, that about? The tree beliefs basically is like it's like a concept so you, so you can visualize what the different types of beliefs are. So we have root beliefs. Deep and embedded. these root beliefs are kind of, they're really deeply entrenched now. So that would be something like your religious beliefs. Yes. Um, you believe in God, you don't believe in God. That's a, a root belief. It kind of defines who you are as a person as well. Uh-huh. Or it can't define who you are as a person. So that's a root belief. Or one of your root beliefs is, I am really confident. Um, that could be a root belief. Yes. Uh, and affects everything, everything, every single area of your life. So um, you've got root beliefs. Trunk beliefs, which are more malleable, but they're still really strong beliefs. Yeah. Branch beliefs come off your kind of trunk beliefs, and it's little smaller beliefs that they are important, but it's not going to affect your whole life. And you've got leaf beliefs, just like small beliefs, like the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning. Something you, you never really think about it. You kind of know it's true, it's inconsequential, but they're still little leaf beliefs. So you want to work on your root beliefs and your trunk beliefs the trunk beliefs are the most malleable and that's the ones we want to kind of work on once you start to change them you can turn some of them into a root belief that changes trunk belief branch belief and leaf belief at the same time because it affects so much more yeah yeah fabulous so then with your um book around all of the principles each of the principles then represent a trunk or each principle would make up a chunk of the 
a chunk of the trunk um, <laughs> in terms of, of the, the big stuff, you know, the big stuff that you need to work on in terms of malleability. That's that's where the book is positioned towards. Yeah, so as um, there's the seven major beliefs, so I call them the kind of seven major beliefs, and it's not the only major beliefs, but it's just in general, if you want to change your life, these seven beliefs, that if you install them, yep. will literally, and I mean literally, change your whole life forever. Yeah, but that's amazing. It's, it's made so that even one of the beliefs will change your life. It just depends on how much work you yep. want to do on yourself. Not work, but how much you want to work on yourself yeah. um, as well. I think, I think so. So a lot of our listeners are leaders. So I'm a leadership coach and a lot of them uh, work on their leadership mindset. So actually getting their head into that. I'm a leader from that perspective and also around courageous conversations. So actually having the courage to show up and have those difficult conversations, whether it's like a performance management type thing or some kind of conflict or even having the courage to stand up and ask for a promotion, for example. So a lot of it is definitely around mindset and I guess really it would come down to their own beliefs around who they are and and what they represent as as a leader, but something really interesting that you said before with the, I am responsible for everything in my life. I think that's a really interesting topic. So I I talk to a lot of people that are very much, we're in that blame mentality and I'm sure you're familiar with Brené Brown's work around blame. I'm a huge Brené fan, but I think once we start recognizing that we are responsible for everything in our life, then it also means that we've actually, we're the answer, we're the solution to any problems that we happen to be having. So yeah, I can definitely yeah. understand how that would change people's lives, just this one belief. Yeah, that um, when you can accept, and you've got to accept responsibility, you can't say you can't have somebody say to you, you are responsible, you're to blame, but it's not about blaming. Blaming's totally different. It's accepting responsibility for your role and yeah. whatever happens in your life. We're not talking about external things, like um, somebody um, has had a car crash and they might be in hospital, um, and it's a, a family relative or something. That's nothing to do with it. This is about your personal responsibility for what personally happens in your life. So if you didn't get that promotion that you went for, you might say, oh, it's because the managers are not, um, they've got this um, thing against women, they're not promoting women, all that. You might blame on that. It's Mm -hmm. nothing to do with that. You've got to look at your role. And same with guys as well. Why didn't the guy get the promotion? And they blame the managers and say, oh, they're they're hiring too many women now. They've got to get a quota of women up. It's kind of reversed. But you have to take responsibility and say, okay, what could I have done better to get that role or maybe it's just not the right time or yeah. whatever it is but if you take 100 percent responsibility you then realize it empowers you because what you're doing when you blame somebody else you're giving your power away to somebody yeah. else yeah but when you take responsibility you're keeping 100 percent in power you say okay you know what next time i'm going to do this better you're going to look at it and i'm going to do this better to get that promotion and you believe you will get it it's just a matter of when that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It does make sense. I think yeah, being able to um, take responsibility also means that you're not giving your power to anyone else. And I think once you make that mindset yeah. shift, then some really big stuff can happen. So, yeah. Definitely. I love that. So, you you also speak a little bit around the comfort zone. So, I talk a lot about the comfort zone. I think, you know, unless we're nudging up against the comfort zone and starting to feel uncomfortable, then we're uh, not getting anywhere in terms of growth. And yep. I do think that all of this work, um, particularly around leadership, is an inside-out job. So can you talk me through a little bit more around your thoughts and around the comfort zone? Yeah, I love talking about this, um, Ali, so I'm glad you asked me that. Your comfort zone, nobody in the world can grow inside their comfort zone. 
Yeah. You cannot grow as a person inside your comfort zone. You can be comfortable there, and that's all you're going to be. You can be sitting back on a couch, lying, watching TV, and feel extremely comfortable, but you're not going to grow as a human being if you're inside that comfort zone. The only way to grow is if you kind of push past. Because, so if your comfort zone's here, and you say, okay, on the edges of that, I feel quite uncomfortable yep. um, doing this. So if somebody says, listen, do you want to give a speech at a kind of annual conference, at the works conference? And you go, holy shit, no way am I doing that. That's just yeah. too uncomfortable. That's when you know you should be doing it. Yeah. So when totally you get agree. that feeling, you should be doing it because that's pushing past the comfort zone. But what happens, you've got this comfort zone here. You give that talk, your comfort zone expands yep. to that level. So not only are you giving the talk, your confidence grows, your self-esteem grows, your um, kind of ability to network grows, your ability to kind of socialize maybe grow as well because of that one thing you've done expanded your comfort zone because you've changed a belief to say do you know what i can actually do this yeah i can speak in public yes. and that's your comfort zone expands all the time and the more you push against that pretty soon you can unstoppable and that's when you get to that unstoppable stage that's when you say do you know what i don't really care what other people think mm. before they do i'm doing my own thing this is the mark i'm going to leave on the world i, I listen to other people I'll take on board I'm not going to let it affect where I'm going in my life and the path I'm, I'm taking in my life. Yeah. And that's, you can feel when somebody's really like that. You can feel when they're there, when yeah. they've got enough empowerment within themselves to not really care. Gary Vaynerchuk would be a perfect yes. example of yes. that. He doesn't care because he's got to a stage where he believes in what he's saying. And he is, he speaks the truth so many times. Yeah. Um, it's just unbelievable. So that's the stage we want to get to. And he's pushed yeah. past his comfort zones all the time. And that's part of the alluring part about his um, personality and his, you know, his entire persona is, yeah. is you know, you, you literally watch him get to uncomfortable things and then push through it and then go to the next one. And all of a sudden, the thing that you're worried about, you've succeeded or done or achieved. And therefore, you don't need to be holding on to any worry about that. So that's yeah. really interesting. And, but there's um, another thing about comfort yeah. zones as well, Ali. If you, so if you think, okay, that you, you talk about that public speaking, um, just use that as an example. Somebody's asked you to give a public speech in their kind of company. You say, well, can't, there's no way I could do that. What you can do to make that even easier or to make it easy is stretch past that and just say, okay, somebody comes and asks you to not only give you a speech to the local kind of company, but mm -hmm. to a global audience. Just say um, there's 5,000 people going to this big event at the company and they want you to speak. Yeah. And you go, oh, shit, that's even bigger. So that's a stretch comfort zone. Yes. Uh, yes, it's stretching your comfort zone. But yes. you don't necessarily go for that, but it pulls you back and say the other thing that you're frightened of at the beginning, just doing a local company speech, it makes it so much easier. You just go, yeah. I could do that, but I'm not going to do this big thing. You've still yeah. expanded your comfort zone. So it's a stretch kind of comfort zone belief that you want to kind of look at. If you can do that, then that changes everything almost in an instant. Yeah, so you almost go go bigger. So then the um, thing that you originally worried about or concerned about having a few feelings of getting out of your comfort zone, because that's so much smaller than the thing that was really blowing your mind, it makes it so much more achievable. Yeah, so it's a belief moonshot, um, can I call it? Do you know, it's funny that you say that. So in my past life, I was a dancer and we used to have a saying in the dance studio and before we'd go on stage and it was like, shoot for the moon. Even if Excellent. you miss, you'll land among the stars. So that was just like basically go for it. And if you fall on your face, you'll still be right. Exactly. Um, yeah. the crux of it. But, yeah, it was very much a dance mantra back then. Uh, Excellent. Speaking of mantras, so 
I uh, actually quite like nudging up against my comfort zone. I've been doing it often enough now to recognize when I'm, you know, not so much nudging against the comfort zone, but I'm going into the growth zone. And I've yeah. got a bit of a mantra that I use that is, I can do hard things. Okay. And I know that you like mantras as well. So what are some of the mantras that I guess you've practiced over time or that you well, like when, to use? When I was doing the research and writing for this book, um, what, what I was doing in the mornings, I go out for a run in the morning, maybe about half five, six o'clock. So I go out for a two mile run and then I kind of walk about half a mile. And there's a place at Glasgow University that's just got a bench on it. And it looks like Hogwarts. The building is oh, just yes. uh, been built in the 19th century. It looks like Hogwarts. It's an amazing building. So I sit there and just kind of meditate for 15 minutes. Um, and I kept on asking the question, okay, what mantra could I use for the book? Because I had this specific set of exercises, but I couldn't figure out a good mantra. So when I was kind of meditating after a couple of weeks, it came to me. It was just, I am the light. I am the energy. I am the love. I am the universe. Wow. I just said that over and over again for 15 minutes. Yes. And I thought, oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's it's nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with that. It's totally independent, but it's just recognizing that you are part of this big, huge thing we call the universe. And yeah. you are the light, you are the love, you're the energy, you're the, you're the universe, you're part of it. Yeah. Um, and so I started doing that um, from since then, as we were talking about seven, eight months ago. I've seen a big difference, even in the, kind of myself kind of confidence and kind of looking at things the way I look at things as well because I believe I can literally do it and it's that that got me through the book as well yeah. to write the book so that mantra and really feeling it you've really got to feel it that's a big thing about beliefs as well is about feeling it as well when you're looking at it and yeah. because at first you're not going to believe the new belief and because the old belief is going to be so prevalent in your mind and that's part of what cognitive dissonance is and mm -hmm. um, so that's a mantra I use all the time now and I've recorded that for people who buy the book, they can download that mantra. It's me with some music in the background saying, you are the light, you are the energy, you are the love, you are the universe. And such a, an empowering mantra. That, it, it is beautiful mantra. And then I guess on the receiving end, that's all of the I am statements that would be filtering in as well, as in I am the light, I am the, yeah. Yeah, that so is, I've done it. There's, there's different ways. There's different ways to do affirmations. You can say to somebody, or you can get somebody to repeat, I am the light, I am the universe. But again, because of cognitive dissonance, you don't believe it. First, so you might stop doing it. But I've recorded it in such a way saying, you are the light. There's somebody uh, else telling you. The so then you start to internalize after that. Mm, mm. It's interesting that you say about with the cognitive dissonance, because I like to call that the itty shitty, <laughs> itty bitty shitty committee, the ones that sort of come in and you have all these ideas and you're like, yes, I'm ready to go. I've got my beliefs sorted. I've done my goal setting. I've done my mantra. And then your little voice inside your head's like, no, you haven't. That's not right. And that's, that's a beliefs thing again as well, isn't it? That little uh, committee that comes to totally has. partake. So what, what you're talking about there is something that, as I said, kind of cognitive dissonance. So you cannot hold two opposing beliefs in your mind at the same time. Ooh. It's either or. So uh, you, yeah. you just can't do it. So you can't believe that you're going to um, earn a million dollars and you can't, and then have a, another belief for you. There's no way you could earn a million dollars in a year or something. That's two opposing beliefs. Uh -huh. So the, the belief that you hold the most or you've held the longest or uh, is deeply is more rooted is the belief that you're never going to earn a, a million dollars. So that is a kind of rock-solid belief almost. Yeah. So then you have to say, I am going to earn a million dollars this yes. year. And yes. you've got... But what you start to do is look for evidence to prove that you can do it. You say, okay, I've written a book and I earned $10,000. Uh, 
last year, or I started quick game coaching clients and they're bringing in $5,000 a month. You look for all this evidence, and pretty soon this rock solid belief that you had that you couldn't earn, there's this new belief that comes over it. And just to say, okay, this kind of rock solid belief turns molten, then a new belief forms, just to say, I can earn a million dollars a year. And it starts to conform and you're earning more and more because your beliefs are going up, your confidence is getting there, your self-esteem, and your persona and your energy is changing as well because of this one belief. Yeah. And pretty soon, you've earned a million dollars in that year. And yeah. that's what well, cognitive dissonance is. We have to be aware of it because at yeah. first, your mind is going to reject the new belief that you want to install. Mm -hmm. But we have to, as long as we're aware of that and just say, well, this is a process. And then over time, that can change. And looking for the evidence, so looking for the facts around what is it that can help, you know, build that new belief and build the new... Exactly. So yeah. th this is all to do with kind of confirmation bias as well. So yeah. if you're kind of into science as well, you've got hypothesis, uh, and then they start to look for evidence to prove that hypothesis. And they're meant to do it in a kind of an unbiased way, but we kind of do it, but a lot of kind of scientists do as well. There's a confirmation bias there, so they're looking for evidence of one particular area and they, they can find that evidence that's where we're using that kind of empower ourselves as well so you're looking for evidence to prove a particular belief in your mind and that's when you make a rock solid belief for yourself yeah that is so good i love the power of this message that you've got around beliefs because i think if we could imagine a world where everyone could actually start breaking down their beliefs and changing them into new and positive ways you know it's just it's just an incredible thought to have and the impact that you're having on so many people I think is just yeah. astounding. So thank you for shedding the light on beliefs because, yeah, I think it's something that everyone can really benefit from, even just digging deep and understanding your own beliefs. If you're not ready to change them, just understand what makes it up for other people as well. Exactly. I have a question for you around, we're going to shift gears a little bit, non-book related, but who, who inspires you? Who do you pull from or draw from for your inspiration? Um, lots of people, I would say, um, I, I love social media. I've been yep. teaching social media for years as well. Gary Vaynerchuk, yep. I think, is brilliant. Gary, because he's honest, he's authentic, he's genuine. And you don't get a lot of that yep. uh, kind of in the business world. Certainly, you don't get a lot of that. So I love kind of Gary Vaynerchuk. But if I'm talking about books, the person I'm reading just now um, is Neville Goddard. I don't know if you've heard of Neville Goddard. No, I haven't. What, what are you oh, reading? He's, he's a, kind of one of the old thought leaders. Yep. Um, he's kind of passed away now, but um, he's one of the ones um, that's kind of written these amazing books and has stood the test of time. That's what I want to do with this book, so it stood the test of time. Yeah. And he's written Feeling is a Secret. He's written loads of books, but yeah. Feeling is a Secret by Neville Goddard. And mm -hmm. it's about 30 pages long. And it's just the most brilliant book. Uh, one of the, it's just, it's just brilliant. And Stuart Wilde, I don't know if you've heard of Stuart Wilde as well. No, I love a good recommendation. Oh, Stuart Wilde, you need, oh, you need to, a lot of people haven't heard of Stuart Wilde, but he's just, he's just amazing. amazing. He passed away a few years ago as well. He's an English kind of author as well. Yep. Um, but he's written such amazing books that I just follow him. Neville Goddard um, as well. And some of the old um, thought leaders, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, amazing, yeah. kind of on yeah. that genre as well. Yeah. So what we're teaching, uh, what can I teach, is nothing new. Yes. It's just said in a different way. That's, yes. that's why Hay House exists as well, but they're all saying the same thing. It's just yeah. said from a different kind of perspective and a different personality coming yeah. through. And that's how I see kind of the work I'm doing um, just now as well. Yeah, and I think... It doesn't matter what the message is. Well, I mean, obviously the message is important, but sometimes people just need it from a different perspective for the penny to drop, to have that yeah. moment. 
but I certainly think that this work that you're doing around the beliefs principles is just incredible particularly with the tree and how we can break it down and you know when we've got we start talking about the deep deep beliefs that we hold and then you've actually got the formula for how to rewire rewire your beliefs um system and and all of that as well i think that's really incredible before we wrap up a few things what would be your five top tips that you would give your younger self if you could go back in time oh Um, five top tips. No, I'm prepared. Um, Sorry, should have given you the heads up for this one. No, no, it's okay. Um, I'll definitely go back and just say, listen, you have to look at the kind of beliefs you hold about yourself. You have to kind of look at them because they're not true. It's just the way you're seeing the world is not true at all. Yes. Um, and the world changes according to your kind of beliefs. Um, if I could, if I could have took that on, I, w- I probably wouldn't have been able to do it at that age. Um, kind of understood and really understood that concept. But if I could have, oh, things. But my life, uh, I am where I'm meant to be at this precise moment. So I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. But I would have definitely told myself that. I would have, um, oh God, I don't know, when I, five things. Read more. Read more, yeah. They definitely one. read more. Because I, I, I loved reading as well, but I, didn't, I still feel I didn't read enough. Yes. Just get as much information in that little brain as you can because you're not going to get the chance um, later on. Um, so yeah, definitely read more. Um, as well and also follow your own path because I was always following the path that I thought I had to go to well I, I, I didn't think I was going to go to university because of the beliefs I had but I thought I was going to go get as much kind of high grade or school grade kind of exams as you can and just get a decent job bring up a family it's follow your own path uh, yeah. and have a dream have a dream and go for that dream uh, passionately and 100 percent. if you're not going to do it passionately if you're not passionate about it don't go for it i mean it's not for you but be passionate about what you really want to do and get you get you there so much more faster so that's some of the things i would have said (laughs) well i think if you could take away anything from today you know certainly being able to unpack beliefs and the belief principles and the seven that make up the foundation of how our beliefs platform works is certainly something that people can take away you know whether it's in a leadership role or whether it's in their own life if they're wanting any type of change start with the beliefs that links to the identity and um, be able to unpack some of those things so your book the beliefs principle when is it coming out that's coming out tomorrow so it's out for pre-order just now the paperback is out um, for order just now on amazon so it's only available on amazon it's available just now so yeah i'm really excited to see what happens with it well congratulations on your very first book i'm very much looking forward to jumping on amazon i'll put the uh, link into the show notes so we'll hook that up after so yes thank you so much for your time today and sharing your expertise around beliefs i've absolutely loved this and unpacking belief principles with you and it's been great ali thank you very much for having me on really really appreciate it and it's been it's been a good one didn't realize it it went so quick as well I know, we chatted a lot, didn't we? It's good. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast and of course if we aren't connected already you can find me in all the usual places ali nitschke on linkedin ali.madeformore on facebook and instagram i hope you have an awesome week and i'll catch you again soon bye bye